Welcome to What Compassion Accomplishes, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about domestic abuse and sexual assault. The topics discussed in this podcast, including survivor stories, supportive services, and domestic abuse or sexual violence, can be difficult, and we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic, dating, or sexual violence, please call the WCA's 24-hour hotline at 208-343-7025 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Hi, I'm Corey Michaels, along with Chris Davis, and this is What Compassion Accomplishes. How are you doing today, Chris? I am doing well, Corey. It's great to be here. I am so excited uh, to have our special friend, Crispin, in the studio with us today. Crispin is a longtime friend to the WCA, and um, I'm a big fan of Crispin's. And uh, he's here today to talk to some very, uh, talk about some very important issues, some things we've been really working on and focusing on at the WCA. And that mm-hmm. is uh, issues in the LGBTQIA community and uh, specifically uh, barriers they face to receiving services uh, when they are victims of uh, domestic abuse, but in the broader sense of just things that they um, maybe deal with every day and what that looks like um, uh, for members of that community. And I really appreciate the time, uh, you taking the time to come down and just talk with us, Crispin. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, thanks to you both and big fan of the Women's and Children's Alliance as well. Thank you. So tell us, Crispin, what is on your mind today? Oh, well, I've got so much on my mind today. <laughs> uh, it is currently Pride Month, uh, yes. so my chosen family is at the front forefront of my mind, uh, the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, and making the world a, a little bit of a better place for myself and my friends and family. Okay. And so uh, really just introducing the community to folks, because when Absolutely. people hear LGBTQIA plus, uh, they might get uh, mixed up in the alphabet soup of it all. <laughs> I've, I've heard that a lot. Uh-huh. So let's break that down. So LGBTQIA+. There are a few letters and a symbol there. What does it mean? So it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, asexual, uh, and plus. Uh, okay. Oh, and I missed the Q. The Q is queer. Okay. See, I got lost in the alphabet. It's super super easy, so I understand. Uh, But generally speaking, uh, it is a community of sexual orientation and gender, uh, gender expression uh, minorities. And really, it is a vast and diverse community all Mm -hmm. around the world. And my experience with it, even though I am part of the family, uh, is itself very narrow. Uh, It gender and sexuality are culturally dependent and vary all over the world. So I can speak to the subset that I'm familiar with, sort of the dominant culture, United States, Western culture, right? as far as I've experienced it. So yeah. that's my first caveat in, in discussing some of this. Uh, but for many of us in the family, I'll call it, right. in the alphabet suit family, <laughs> really uh, surviving in a world that is sort of... Uh, designed against us mm-hmm. has made us resilient. And that's one of the common threads that I have really taken note of among my family. Uh, being able to wake up every day, 
breathe in and out and live and express ourselves as much as we are able to uh, in the face of resistance right. has made us absolutely resilient and connected in ways, in really important and really powerful ways that I think a lot of people don't realize. So that's really leading with the strength of our community. So there are also, because we are uh, gender and sexual minorities, mm -hmm. there are also a few other sort of common experiences that we might have that shape the way that we move through the world, the way that we are able to move through the world. Uh, and the first and most obvious of those is coming out. Right. How many straight people have to come out? How many cisgender people have to come out as straight or cisgender? Cisgender meaning that you identify with the gender that you are assigned at birth. And the experience of coming out is, or can be, a really terrifying one, especially for a lot of communities throughout Idaho, even here in Boise. Yeah. Because in one breath, everything can change. And that experience of taking that deep breath and saying something that can't be unsaid to someone is one of the biggest leaps of faith that I think any human can take. You know, Crispin, when you and I were talking the other day in, in preparing for this, you said something that really struck me, and I, I it's, it weighed on me because I, I never really thought about it, that um, people in your community and your family have to come out repeatedly over and mm -hmm. over and mm -hmm. over. And, you know, I, I live in this world of domestic violence, sexual assault. I talk about it over and over. It doesn't yeah. mean it happens to me, but sometimes I feel the, the weight of it, you know, talking about it, educating it, thinking about it, how do I, how do I rephrase it? How do I get people to listen to me? Mm -hmm. Because I want them to understand. I'm, I'm thinking about changing culture and community, right? It's important to me. But um, at the end of the day, I go home and I try to sh you know, shirk it off. But for somebody who's impacted, mm -hmm. because we know that members of your family, your chosen family, are disproportionately affected. And if they have to come out to think about reporting or asking for help and the barriers that they face or coming out to try to get a new job or coming yeah. out mm -hmm. to seek housing assistance and all of those things. You connected that dot for me, but they're coming out and even, you know, maybe to stand in line to get a cup of coffee, right? Mm -hmm. The smallest things in my everyday life. And you add that factor in and not knowing if they're going to be rejected or ridiculed or humiliated or just accepted by the people around them that are important to them. That's monumentous. And to mm -hmm. me, that was just overwhelming. And I can't imagine what that must be. Every time we make a new friend or go to a new workplace or even just meet someone new mm -hmm. in an environment like this. Uh, coming out is a constant process. And it gets not easier necessarily, but more familiar. Right. So you go time. back to that resilience. I mean, you have to, you, you know. Yeah. And so the flip side of that, uh, if the fatigue builds up, uh, some in the community are able to fit in or... Pass is a term that we use in the community. Passing means passing for straight or passing for cisgender, just to make things easier. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of folks, especially in communities that generally are 
that generally have a lot of work still to do. Uh, it may be easier just to hide a portion of yourself or not disclose a bit of who you are. What is the result of that? What does it do to you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's the damage that it does right. to and one? Everybody has their own arithmetic. Okay. And their own metrics for the decisions that they make. And any decision that anyone makes in regards to coming out or not mm -hmm. is theirs and valid. Right. And perfectly fine. Uh, for many people, uh, the primary factor is just personal health and safety. Yeah. Safety. Uh, and so in order to preserve safety uh, for, for m too many people, that mm -hmm. means not disclosing, not coming out, yeah. passing. Talking about safety and passing, mm -hmm. um, that is something that I think a lot of people don't realize or recognize the actual personal safety, personal safety, that is a real issue for a lot of um, the members in your community and your family, is that, that that's a real issue, with even within f their own immediate family, their, their family. Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty horrifying to me. Right. Um, that they, they, there's a real risk of being assaulted, um, mm -hmm. physically assaulted, sexually assaulted, um, trying to fix them. Right. Trying to that's change part them. That's part of the terrifying unknown on yeah. the other end of that deep breath before, in, before saying the words that can't be unsaid before coming out. Right. That is one of the possibilities that we measure and why it takes far too many of us far too long and far too much courage and effort to actually come out to people who should love and care for us. And in, in all this as well, in the broader cultural sense, uh, another difficulty that the community faces uh, that is slowly changing uh, is finding the kind of role models that we can emulate, borrow from, draw inspiration from to build our own healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. For far too long, uh, queer characters in media, in film, television, take your pick, popular mm -hmm. film and television, uh, have been either comic relief or uh, tragic stories. Right. Even still, we still see movies where uh, the queer relationship is a, uh, a tragic story, a modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet or something yeah. like that. That's slowly changing bit by bit. Uh, we have some healthier role models, but the impact of media on establishing norms for relationships not just for those in a relationship, but also for those on the outside seeing a relationship. Uh, slowly that can help normalize and destigmatize a lot of what we experience uh, in the family, uh, just in our everyday lives. Uh, and just one example of the power of that growing up, I, I grew up with Will and Grace. Yes. Right? Just Jack. That's, just that's Jack. what came to my mind, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even like starting to watch that show for a while, I thought that like being queer was something that was just made up for comedic effect. I mm. didn't think that people actually lived like that. 
come to find out, we do. Right. Uh, and so that's one example of the power of media pushing forward bit by bit. Uh, and so having those sort of examples to help break down those barriers, destigmatize and normalize a lot of different relationship structures, different sexualities and gender identities and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is a really powerful component as well, because when it comes right down to it, healthy relationships matter no matter who is in them or what they look like. And because a lot of different kinds of people have a lot of different kinds of relationship, it's important for us to understand how these relationships and how the individuals in these relationships can vary in order to better respond to the full contours of the human experience. So well said. So well said. I want to go back to what the beginning of that. Healthy relationships matter no matter who is in them. Yep. And I, mm-hmm. June is Pride Month. It's also Men's Health Month. Mm-hmm. It's also Immigrant Heritage Month. It's also, I think, mm-hmm. it's Elder National Elder Week this week. Again, healthy relationships matter no matter who is in them. And we need to continue to work to recognize that and learn more about people who are not the same as we are and not try to force our own belief systems on others because not everybody, excuse me, not everybody is the same as I am and they don't live in the same family structure. They may not think the same as I am and they may not react, but they still deserve to live in safe and healthy relationships. Yes. Period. Hard stop. Mm -hmm. Simply. So everyone needs to take a hard look inside themselves, I believe, truly believe, and then really open our eyes and start to have conversations. So um, it, it breaks my heart at the level of, well, I'm going to say ignorance that still exists in our world because I personally, I, if someone finds love, and it's, you know, both consenting adults, you know, um, I, I don't care where they find that love. Love is so rare to find. And yet so many people are so worried about what someone else's love and life looks like instead of focusing on themselves. And we still have a whole lot of that ignorance in our world. But as you said, Crispin, it's slowly getting better, but we still got a lot of work to do like you two who are uh, putting in a lot of work to make sure that we do move the needle bit by bit. Bit by bit. We're a big giant ship out in the middle of the ocean. It's really hard to turn it, but we are, we're pulling that steering wheel. Trust me. There's, there's more than just us here too. There are many people trying to turn that steering wheel, but it takes a lot. Um, And and like you were saying about media, I, I have been uh, noticing a lot with like, you know, popular television shows i'll just say uh because of some of the ones that uh, my wife and i watch like chicago fire chicago med mm-hmm. um, all the chicago's all the chicago's they're addressing lgbtqia they're yep. addressing some bipoc issues they're addressing actually some domestic abuse sexual mm-hmm. assault which i am I, what what is that i'm like oh i appreciate them addressing well, some of these cultural issues. Yeah. But and it wasn't just a side note character. Mm-hmm. I mean there's like main yes. characters that and it's they don't yeah. focus on that 
part. It's just, and I appreciate that because it should just be normal. No one's going to look at my wife and I and go, ooh, look at them. Well, it should be the same with two men, two women, whatever you know the, the combination there happens to be. It should just be, oh, look at the happy couple. Right. And what I think a lot of these shows that I've seen, I haven't uh, regularly watched NBC uh, since before they discovered Chicago exists. <laughs> uh, but, uh, from what I've seen, uh, what a lot of media does in order to raise awareness for some of these issues is also dive into what we might consider the dark side. Yeah. Dive into some of the abuse and power and control to make sure that we can see what that looks like and recognize it when it's happening so that, and provide examples of how to respond. Uh, and that is a very crucial component uh, to the work that we're all doing to move the needle. Uh, being able to really understand what the contours of power and control look like, mm-hmm. allow us to better shape uh, emergency services, uh, support services, Uh, And even just respond one-on-one as human people recognizing and helping someone uh, escape from power and control that is being exercised against them. And so being able to, uh, in this instance, recognize how power and control plays, might play out a little bit differently in the LGBTQ plus community Mm -hmm. than it would in what has sort of existed as the de facto norm, the cisgender heterosexual norm of relationship structures of power and control. Because when we narrow our scope, uh, it uh, leaves out some very important pieces to give us a a more complete picture. And so there are a few, I I can give you a few examples of how, like the additional layers that we might see in uh, queer relationships uh, that might not have crossed our minds when we consider what power and control being exercised by an abuser looks like. Uh, One of them is just reinforcing internalized homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, or heterosexism. So growing up in a world that is shaped by cisgender heterosexual people, it's so easy to internalize into just the deep, deepest recesses of our psyche a certain guilt associated with the part of our identity. Uh, And so finding ways to really pinpoint that guilt as an abuser would allow an abuser to put pressure on the pressure point and really tear someone down emotionally, uh, leveraging the weight of their identity against them. Uh, And then to build on that, threatening to use homophobia, biphobia, transphobia against someone, uh, like threatening to out someone. Coming out should be someone's individual choice as to when and to whom they come out. Mm -hmm. And what we see far too often is abusers threatening to disclose someone's identity, someone's relationship with their employer or with their friends or family, or with anyone else, as a means to leverage that pressure against them and force them into doing something that they don't want to do. And the threat of outing someone is not just uh, 
making social making things socially awkward has very real consequences for for example in the majority of Idaho where protections do not exist for sexual orientation and gender identity you could lose your job your housing uh, your rights to certain kinds of health care etc etc uh, and then there's on on top of that, uh, sort of economic control. We know that financial abuse is one of the most common forms of abuse in relationships. Yes. Yes, it's present in almost every single abusive relationship, yeah. regardless mm-hmm. of the gender expression. It's very prevalent. Yeah. And so, it, especially in communities where non-discrimination ordinances do not include sexual orientation and gender identity, that one bit of information threatening to out someone to an employer and risking their source of in- income is really a threat to their financial freedom, a threat to their freedom as a person to make enough to live on their own. And it forces them into a whole, a whole variety of abusive tactics. Uh, and then in custody Custody is another example where we see uh, protections might not exist for a variety of relationship types. Uh, Right now, uh, custody arrangements are really just between two people, and we know that that excludes relationships that have more than two people. Protections might not exist for LGBT couples uh, in the same way that they do, uh, for example, in adoption. Uh, uh, In a lot of instances, uh, an Adoptive parent in a same-sex relationship uh, might not have the same parental rights as as their partner, uh, and uh, in custody arrangements, in custody hearings, the threat of using homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, and their associations, their stereotypical associations with, for example, mental health issues, uh, that is a very real threat that threatens the relationship between a parent and, and a child. Mm-hmm. I think we, we've got some other things that Crispin is going to talk with us about in future um, episodes, like the panic defense and some of the other things that, that homophobia is. It, it can ruin lives. It can be deadly. It, it can be, and it, it is. Mm-hmm. It is deadly beyond whether it it's, um, causes people to die by suicide or it causes um, homicides or it ruins lives for any number of reasons. It is deadly, folks. And uh, we need to address it straight on and call it what it is. Right. And it's it's not okay. And it is that's why we're here talking about it. We need to we need to call it out when we see it. Yeah. We need to stop people from um, ruining other people's lives because yeah. everyone deserves healthy relationships, whether it's relationships with other people in in an inter- intimate partner relationship, but it's friendships, it's families, because we are all living, breathing human beings, and we mm-hmm. all deserve respect right and knowledge is really the most important tool that we can generate uh, in order to save lives ultimately Uh, and language is one part of that knowledge language is an incredibly important part of that knowledge uh, and language is constantly evolving another stereotype that i get uh, directed at the family is look at all of these newfangled genders. Look at all of these newfangled uh, relationship styles when it's not newfangled at all. Right. We're just learning that we're learning the language. Yeah. It's existed throughout history. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to have a language to describe something, to, to develop it, to get enough of a critical mass that it is now commonplace for people to understand what being non-binary is, what being transgender is, what being gay is. Uh, having the language to name something is really the first step in moving toward radical acceptance of whatever we are, whatever phenomenon we are able to name. And the contours of that language may change over time as we've seen things change drastically. Uh, but ha- yeah, language is very important. Uh, and the other part of knowledge that is very important is really understanding what things look like on the ground, really treating domestic violence and sexual assault as a research problem. Right. And recognizing that uh, in order to best address something like a public health crisis, like I believe sexual assault and domestic violence is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We really need to dive into some of the components that might have been left out of some of the established research. So I have some statistics actually from the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey. Uh, Which is something we cite all the time. Yes, you and I talked about this. Mm -hmm. And I am excited for what Crispin is going to tell you. And he's also going to point out some of the issues with it. So listen up, folks, because he's also going to give you some walking orders, marching orders. (laughs) All right. Running orders. Little call call to action. Little call to action. Listen up. (laughs) Uh, Well, so we recognize first and foremost that uh, research has not treated the LGBTQIA plus community very fairly throughout history. No. Uh, And it's only fairly recent that uh, inclusive terminology was included in uh, surveys like like these. Uh, And so what we have is an incomplete picture, but uh, it's a starting point that can allow us to start to see some things that might have been out of sight before. In the closet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, uh, from this survey, uh, 47% of transgender people have been sexually assaulted at some point in their lives. Uh, and breaking this down even further, trans people of color are even more likely to be sexually assaulted with American Indian trans people uh, uh, 65% of that population experiencing sexual violence at some point in their lives. Wow. 58% in Middle Eastern populations, 53% in black populations. And that is just assault. That is, we also know that uh, especially black trans women and other women of color, trans women of color are at an increased uh, rate of violent hate crimes and, and homicides. homicides. Yeah. Incredibly high rate. But as Crispin knows this, I'm looking at Crispin, you can't see Crispin. It's, and it's, it's horrifying, it's frightening and scary, but the numbers that we have to look at are so narrow because we didn't start asking these questions and providing boxes for people to check that they could identify with until very recently. So if you're just a man or a woman, check, check. Those are the stats we have before just the last few years. But those are just the numbers that we know of. Just the numbers that we know of. How many others um, every single day And those are are people who have been surveyed. 
they've been asked the question. They've mm-hmm. they've been gracious enough to be forthcoming yeah. and brave enough to share the information. They've been in the right place in the right time to be asked the questions. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something we say anytime we look at statistics. These are just the people who've come forward yeah. and been in the right place at the right time because we know domestic violence is so prevalent. Sexual assault is so prevalent and so many people never report. They right. never come forward and willingly give that information. So we know that people in the trans community and the LGBTQIA community are incredibly disproportionately impacted. Right. Right. It's compounding marginalization. Yeah. And that marginalization is conducted by people in positions of power and control. Uh, and so being able to name that uh, helps give us uh, power and direction for some of the actions that we can take. And one statistic, uh, just to drive home your message, Chris, uh, from this survey, is that in a study of male same-sex relationships, uh, the percentage of men who called the police for assistance after experiencing near-lethal violence is staggering, staggeringly low. 26%. Just about one quarter of men in same-sex relationships who experienced near-lethal violence felt the need to call police, felt comfortable enough calling police for assistance. And that's a whole other podcast, right? That's a whole other episode to di- mm-hmm. dive into the why of that, um, why they maybe didn't want to have to come out again? Would they be believed? Would something happen? Did they feel safe? Did they want to leave the relationship? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's so many. That's a whole other conversation, the, which I would love to have. And would, we will. Did they, yes. did they think, you know, yes. Did they think there would be services on the other side? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, you can call the WCA's hotline anytime, 24 hours a day. <laughs> men, we do we do offer services for men, but um, and a lot of men don't recognize that, mm-hmm. and you don't have to report, um, which is also something a lot of people don't recognize. Another podcast, another day. Yeah. Um, so, but near f- lethal, near lethal violence, mm-hmm. and they don't report, and they don't feel comfortable, or, or we don't wait. I can't put a label on that. I I don't know why, yeah. but that's and so these horrifying. these these statistics just drive home the importance of. Uh, really understanding what the full contours are in order to better respond. And just uh, to put out some more statistics, uh, uh, bisexual women are more than two and a half times more likely than heterosexual women to have experienced intimate partner sexual violence. Uh, More than a quarter of gay men had experienced intimate partner violence in their lifetimes, and just over 12% had experienced it within the past year. Uh, And then lifetime intimate partner violence among transgender people uh, ranged from 31% to 50%. More than half. And 45% of victims, and this is just from what we know, from what we've been able to survey, and like Chris said, uh, people who have had the, the courage and ability to disclose, right. 45% of victims do not report the violence that they experience to police because they do not believe that the police will help them. That makes me sad. 
it makes me want to know more. It makes me want to have, it makes me keep want to keep going to have more conversations, mm-hmm. to find out more and, and want to do more. But it makes me, right now, it just makes me incredibly sad and it breaks my heart. Well, and that, yeah. that is the first call to action. Mm-hmm. Uh, know more. And part of knowing more is doing a purposive, uh, intensive review of the research that is currently out there, the statistics and the experiences that are currently out there and having conversations like this. Uh, And the other part of that is to invest time, resources, and effort into doing more research, doing more outreach, doing more intentional and intensive research to really understand and break these numbers down even more and get new numbers uh, to be able to then inform services that are provided down the road. Well, finally, finally we are coming out of a don't ask, don't tell world that, uh, you know, that I know I grew up in and all of us lived in. So there wasn't the conversations there. We weren't able to, to move forward in any way without being able to have conversations like this, without accepting the fact that, that people find love in different ways. And that's different for each person. And we're finally getting to a point where it's starting to be accepted as it's okay. Starting. 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 Well, uh, we will have at least a second podcast coming out soon. Oh, I, I, I think we'll probably I have, think a we have a third or a fourth. I think we, or... <laughs> yes. So, again, uh, we want to say it's Pride Month. Happy we have Pride. Crispin in the studio. Happy Pride Month. And uh, I want to say, again, something really, really, really simple but important that we want to leave with that Crispin said. Healthy relationships matter no matter who is in them. Yes. And I appreciate that. Those are words of wisdom. They're very simple, but sometimes they're really hard for people to grasp. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to keep repeating them. We are just going to keep repeating that until we can get people to listen. Because it seems so simple. But Some it, are. And, you know, it just, it's, it's, we're yeah. just going to keep repeating that. Maybe we should end every show like that, Corey. Okay. Healthy relationships matter no matter who is in them. In the wise, in the words of wise Crispin. Yes. <laughs> You've just been mortalized. Um, we uh, appreciate you taking the time to come down yeah. today. And June is happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. I'm happy and, to be here. Thank you for having me. I look forward to future conversations. Yes, we're going to talk about barriers. We're going to talk about what you can do as listeners. And uh, you, you do have some uh, um, marching orders, some steps if you want to take um, to uh, – Learn more, do some research, get out there and Google. We know everybody loves to Google um, and uh, tune back into what Compassion accomplishes. And uh, All the information is right here in the description of the podcast. Uh, so click on the links there. Uh, if you or someone you know is in an abusive situation, it's not okay. It's never okay. Call. There are people here to be able to help 24 hours a day. And uh, we will talk more on the next episode of What Compassion Accomplishes. Bye, Corey. Bye, Crispin. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this episode of What Compassion Accomplishes. Again, if you or someone you know has experienced domestic abuse, dating, or sexual violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or the WCA's 24-hour hotline, 208-343-7025. 